Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, Linda, we're so happy you could join us. Yes, same here. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So Linda, how did you get started in publishing? Ooh, the long, ooh, quite a journey on that one. So to compress the story, I guess I definitely came out of uh, college, not sure what I wanted to do. Thankfully, there was somebody who was an alum of my university who had become friends with, and she was like, well, Linda, you always talk about books. Why don't you try publishing? And the reason she said that was because she worked in HR at this financial firm, but she was doing this panel with other HR people and they were doing diversity hiring things. And this was 2005. So she said, someone from publishing was there. You should reach out. So I did. And I did get a job. It was not an editorial, which is the thing that I, of course, wanted. But most people will think of editorial as the thing. But they said, sorry, someone came in and, you know, we hired internally. But we have this job that's that works in reprints. Would you be interested? And I said, sure. I didn't have a clue what that was. But I went in. And I, w- I would say, too, like a lot of women really helped me get into this industry, and especially interestingly, people of color, which was very unusual at the time, right? So I went in for the interview. And again, the alum that was my friend, you know, she's a black woman. And she led me to this Latinx woman who, when I went for the interview, she was also a Puerto Rican from the Bronx. So we got along really well. And then she wanted to hire me, essentially. So I got the job offer on the way home. And that was the easiest thing that ever happened. However, I was there about a year. I really liked the job, but it wasn't at the time the thing that I really wanted to do. Plus, it was my first job out of college. You're still trying to figure out your life. And I was like, is is this it? And my boss at the time, she felt very old and worldly. She was 26, 27. (laughs) And she said, well, you know, I always wanted to go to law school. You should go to law school. And I said, yeah, I should maybe go to law school. And then I remember shelving books and, you know, the reprint, we had this massive reprint library where we just stored all the books and a book fell on my head and it was called how to get into law school. I was like, well, this is a sign. So, (laughs) I mean, obviously I am meant to go to law school. (laughs) It was, you could have, you could have been like a baker, right? (laughs) I know know how to be a lion tamer or something. (laughs) I probably would have been open to it. So I was like, cool, I'm just going to quit. Now, thankfully, you know, I'm born and bred New Yorker. I was living at home with my parents and they're like, okay, I guess you want to be a lawyer, which they were thrilled about anyway. But again, I didn't have to worry about rent. So I was at home for a while. I took the LSAT, blah, blah, blah. I took an expensive Princeton review course, but I didn't actually... No, realize I realized that I just did not want to go to law school. You know, I wanted the money. Money's cool, but I just didn't know any happy lawyers. I'm sure they exist, but I didn't know any of them. So yeah, in the end, I just couldn't actually fill out that application. And I had done like little side jobs, you know, just to bring in a few dollars here and there. And there were no books anywhere. Like I, I was used to working at Penguin at the time, 
And they just, you know, they had the take shelves. You could just take books as you wish. It was the best. So I was like, well, and this was about 2007, 2008. I'm like, this is, I easily got a job the first time. That's going to happen again, of course. No, I was very young and arrogant and I had to learn my lesson. So I actually wound up doing internships to get my way back in. So I begged my way into a bunch of them. So I did an internship at Dorchester Publishing, which did like romance and thrillers and things like that. They eventually went under a couple of years ago. Um, then eventually I tried children's publishing because I saw, you know, job openings for it. So I interned at Random House on the editorial side. So I'm in Schuster Marketing for Some Impulse Aladdin. And all this time I'm applying for jobs, but I, I just wasn't getting them. So, you know, I'd make it to the second round maybe, but then someone would be hired internally or someone better or whatever it was. I just was not getting the job. So then eventually I started applying for jobs at a literary agency called Writer's House. And again, making it almost to the end, but not quite. And then I noticed they had an internship program. So thankfully I was able to do that. And that's kind of what gave me the inkling to go, oh, agenting is a potential job. I hadn't thought about that before. However, I still needed a job so I can, you know, eat and all of that sort of thing. So eventually, thank goodness, Random House hired me. And I stayed there for five years doing children's marketing. And then in that time, I took advantage of their tuition reimbursement, which was great. So I got my MFA in children's writing at the Vermont College of Fine Arts. But even then, I was trying to get into editorial. But I was about, I don't know, 27, 28. And they honestly thought I was a bit too old <laughs> to, to move over into editorial. Like, they're like, Linda, I, I, I know. <laughs> they're like, Linda, you're kind of... I mean, even before I was the oldest intern. So I was used to being the oldest around, which, again, was not old. But yeah, they just kept saying, Linda, you're a bit old, a bit seasoned to be starting over. And so eventually I just like, you know what? I, I liked agenting. So I actually still had to do a lot of research and I did a lot of informational interviews with agents who thankfully were super lovely and willing to talk to this person who probably sounded a little nuts. But I eventually did get an offer to this boutique agency called Prospect Agency. And the owner of that place used to be a writer's house agent who had started her own sort of business. So I stayed there and she taught me things. She was a great mentor. Um, and then eventually I moved over to Galt and Zachary Literary Agency. And so I've been there. And so publishing, again, that long kind of twisted journey, I've been publishing 15 years, but the last five I've been agenting and I am not planning on moving anymore because that was exhausting, <laughs> but it was great. It was, um, I will say I accidentally did every department. So it kind of showed me what, what I just took whatever I could get. So I know the things that I definitely did not want. And I know that this is like the perfect place for me. So are you kind of seem like a quadruple threat? <laughs> <laughs> done that, done that, done that, done that. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, it is kind of a... You know, hindsight, you know, hindsight being 2020, because it feel there were so many parts along the journey that I just wanted to give up. And and that is still with me having the privilege of living at home and being financially secure. And then even when I worked at Random House, I was able to save up money before I moved on my own. But mm. even that was hard. So I can't imagine someone coming from another place and with less privilege. Like I wanted to give up so much. So anybody else who has done it in other ways, I mean just amazing kudos to them, really. 
Yeah, it's not easy. But you're already doing so much to help the young agents. Like, for example, the lovely group that you started that we're all meeting with tonight. Um, (laughs) I know that's been really helpful to me. For those who don't know, Linda started a group just of young agents who can get together and talk and help each other. And it's not collective bargaining exactly, but it's nice to know that what other people are asking for and how things are going for other people. And so then there's communication and help between agencies and it's a tough business. And that's been really invaluable just knowing that there are so many industry friends just an email away. Can you talk a little bit about that group and what made you start it? Oh, absolutely. I just, you know, you do have your friends right within the industry and I definitely knew a lot of people though. It wasn't as many agents until I moved over So when I was at Random House and kind of the other side of publishing, there were so many meetings and so many people, you know, the early career committee, they had the young to publishing group, and there was always so much intermingling. And when I moved over into agenting, I mean, thankfully I did get to meet some amazing people and I had my small group of friends, but I just felt like it was a bit more isolated. You know, there wasn't, you know, we definitely talked one-on-one with each other and there were certain groups of people, but I just thought that we could do that in a bigger way. And yeah, so I just kind of set up a Google (laughs) kind of hangout. And then we all started meeting like once a month. And Jessica, I know you recommended the place for pre-COVID-19. Yeah, it was you because I was like, I I don't drink. So I'm like, I don't know. Is there a good bar or something? You're like, yes, I know exactly the place. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I do remember. I remember it had to be near Penn Station, near a bunch Mm -hmm. of trains, inexpensive, not mind a big group, not need reservations. Yeah. I I really love uh, Yelp. That is like a hobby is Yelping (laughs) cute places. So yes, that's a nice place. And I I hope we can all meet there in person again sometime. Oh, Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's meant so much because as Linda said, YPG used to exist. That was a young to publishing group where everyone got together and would hang out. And then after them, it, there wasn't really a large group or way for agents to get together and talk. And I think that so much of our industry moves forward through conversation and it was something I really missed. So Linda, I'm so glad that you did that. I'm, I'm glad. I feel, yeah. And such. I mean, you were there to help with everything. There were so many amazing people involved in the process, so... I just feel really lucky. It was very kismet. You know, you meet the right people mm-hmm. at the right time. Yeah. I love that. So, Linda, tell us what you've changed your mind about in your time in the industry. Ooh. I would say there's very little, um, but I will say, <laughs> you know, I think it's easy to get very jaded. But then you hear those success stories where, you know, people write, I used to hate. And I, I still sometimes am iffy about the phrase, the book of my heart, because usually when someone's like, oh, I wrote the book of my heart, it usually means I'm not going to change anything. This is going to be yep. the way it is. That's <laughs> it. But, you know, sometimes that is a good way to go. I mean, I, I think it's helpful, honestly, for people to understand just, and I have an idea of the market, right? Like if you know that zombies aren't a good sell, just know that it doesn't mean you can't write about zombies, but it's just going to be harder for you to do it. But if you know the book of your heart, this thing that you want to write is about zombies, go forth, you know, write this book that hasn't been done before. And I mean, you have people like Sylvia Moreno Garcia, who's doing amazingly well now. Uh, She's been around for a while. She had that first book with like Mexican vampires and I think it went out of print for a while. And then now she has American Gothic, no, Mexican Gothic, and boom, New York Times bestseller. And now they're, she just kept doing the things she wanted to do. You know, it would have been easy to follow a trend, but because it was her own voice and obviously a lot of hard work along the way, because she didn't just come out of nowhere. But 
those successes do come from something that's, you know, driven by your heart, by your gut, by your instinct. And I think that's what I'm learning to apply even more in agenting, right? Because if I'm looking at the market and I'm going, okay, this might be a harder sell. Even if I take someone on, I'll let them know that. I'm not going to just say this is an easy sell, but if I really love it and I feel that I connect to the book and the person agrees with my vision and we have a shared idea about it, I think you can work wonders. Well, I think it was so interesting what you said about the the book of my heart or another variation is this book is my baby. And Mm -hmm. I admit over time when I hear someone say that, I'm like, oh no, (laughs) because it, it worries me because if you care that much about the book, and of course you should care about your work, but if you're that close to it and it feels like this is the one book that is you on the page, it makes me nervous from an editing perspective. But I think that there are also situations where the quote book of your heart is the one that you just have to write as a person and it has a certain power behind it. And if you are open to those suggestions, it can absolutely work. And Linda, you taught an amazing class with us called How to Write a Manuscript That Gets and Keeps People's Attention. And this is in our class library. And you were so kind. You came to my office. You let me film. All kinds of bad things happened to the tripod. (laughs) The camera fell over at one point, if I remember correctly. There was some duct tape involved. Very early days, guys. We've come a long way. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the tricks and tips you have in that class, just so those listening can have an idea of what they can do to better their chances? Sure. You know, I would say too, again, you're not going to know the market to the extent, you know, an agent or an editor is, but really read as much as possible, right? And it sounds simplistic, but really read as much within your category and genre, read outside of it, know kind of, you know, what's popular. And again, this is not to tell you this is popular, so you will write it, but it's good to have a sense of what's out there. And especially if you know that you're writing something like middle grade fantasy, that you have a sense of what's canon, what's being done, because that way, when you were coming up with the story, whether it's the book of your heart, or you're just, you're trying to find a really cool idea, you can always go, all right, this is what's out in the market. And yes, it's going to be similar in this way, because let's say you're writing a romance, right? There's a certain formula, but that doesn't make it formulaic in the sense of it's an easy ride. It's something that has to still be very unique. Because the thing that I will always ask someone who's pitching me is, okay, this sounds really cool. Like this is about a kid wizard or something. However, what makes this unique? What it makes this the story that only you can tell? What makes it stand out? So you really want to think as strongly as possible about a hook. And again, easier said than done. But if you're reading, 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 you will get a sense of what's out there and why you should be adding your voice to everything that's already out there. So then let's say you have this amazing hook, right? We can't rely on hook alone, right? You could have an amazing premise, but then it can fall flat. And I feel the big reason is because people really will distinguish themselves and they'll go, okay, this story is very character-driven versus another person might say it's very plot-driven. But honestly, if you were writing a fantastic book, right? And that's what we're all aiming for, writing the book. Any amazing book will generally, and again, there are rule rule breakers everywhere, but they'll generally have a combination of the two. You can't really separate them. Even if your book is not super action adventure, and that's okay, it can be a quieter story. Or if you have something that is super heavy on explosions and very Michael Bay-esque, that's fine too. But at the heart of both of those stories, you have character. And I would say, 
even if you have a really cool premise, you really are going to have to dig deep and get to know your character. Whether you're a pantser or a plotter, you know, a pantser is someone who's running by the seat of their pants and not really planning. And then a plotter is, by the nature of it, they're plotting the, the outline of their novel, all of that. But regardless of which direction you're kind of headed, it really is helpful to get a sense of your character. And again, even if you are a pantser and you're just writing and you're learning the story, you're still going to have to go back and shape all of this. So character development is really critical. And I would say the thing that sometimes people forget is to indicate what is their goal. And it's something really simple, right? But it can't even just be a goal. There is a Gotham writers instructor who calls it a a desire line, right? uh, And desire is a bit different from a goal in the sense of it has to be something that's really pulling the story. It's propelling them through the story. It can't be something that the character kind of want to goes, okay, yeah, I, I kind of want this, but if not, I'll move on. No, it has to be the whole point of the story. And I always talk about this. You want to be as specific as possible. I did a workshop just the other day and I was saying, for instance, if someone is giving me a character where they're saying, oh, something very general, like the character wants to be popular, that's still not specific enough, right? Because if I, as a young adult or a middle grade character, I'm going, I want to be popular. What am I doing, right? What is my main goal to achieve this popularity? So there are two levels of this desire. So you need the very, very specific thing. I love to talk about, what is it? The Christmas story, one of my favorite (laughs) movies, because Ralphie in that story wants a BB gun. Like that is the whole premise (laughs) of the story. He wants a BB gun and the whole story is him going after it, right? It's very specific. It's something that stands out, but it's not just him wanting a BB gun, right? That's when you get a higher level. If In the end of it, if you're really looking at it thematically, it's really about a kid who wants to be a grown up or who wants to be perceived as growing up, right? Because even as he's trying to go for his BB gun, he's kind of showing himself protecting the family, you know, from robbers and all of these hilarious moments. But the deep-seated need is that he kind of wants to be perceived at least as a grown up, right? But what does he want? He wants to be begun. So you need to be able to indicate both. And most people will tell me the higher theme and forget to be very specific. And if you don't have something specific, you really want to talk about that. That is a really key thing that you need to identify because if you do not know that, how are you going to come up with conflict? So yeah, that's kind of the basic. If you at least start there, then you know what obstacles to throw. And then the rest of your story's foundation is built. So valuable. So I'm, I was just thinking, and I don't think we've ever asked this question before at the, on the Manuscript Academy podcast. Do you, I'm going to ask both of you, because I think this is interesting. Do you usually sign pantsers or plotters? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Or planters. <laughs> or planters. <laughs> I don't actually ask when I make the call. Do you ask, Linda? No, not really. I think most of them seem to be plotters, but I don't ask. I just notice as the process continues. Um, I think just because that's kind of how I operate, you know, with my clients, I'll say something like, okay, for what's the next thing you're working on? And we kind of talk it through, but I think it's a mix though. I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> I yeah. see a pie chart. Before. Well, I think it's really interesting. I think when people start, well, I think there's there's like interesting things about both, right? Like mm-hmm. a pantser can find all these amazing like 
you know, kind of threads that they didn't even know were there, where it can be very exploratory and so interesting. And there's like the underbelly of the story that finds its way in. But then, you know, like, I think plotter sometimes it can be a little contrived. So mm-hmm. I think I think it's just an interesting question, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I think the key thing too is even if you are the person who's plotting, right? And they, and you need that kind of guidepost, it's good to not stay married to it because sometimes you know, things are changing. You know, I think it is helpful to have kind of a a very flexible way of approaching it. That way, you don't know, maybe your character takes in a direction that you didn't even realize that would go. Sometimes the story kind of takes over onto itself. So I would just say, regardless of how you do it, flexibility is really key. I also wonder if pantsers are better editors because they have to edit on the fly. I wonder if there's some kind of correlation there. But I wanted to go back to what you were saying about character desire, because I think in some ways this is related to how we talk to people about when they're coming up with their elevator pitch or their pitch, which is character wants this thing, but they can't Mm -hmm. have it because of conflict. So they do X, which results in Y. I think it's so interesting because it's almost like um, that common thread that you can hold on to, even if everything around you is moving and, and hard to grasp. If you know who this character is and what they want, even if we're on and Pluto or a world that's completely unfamiliar to us, if they want something we can relate to, we can follow that thread. And I, mm-hmm. I loved how you brought that up because I feel like desire actually is related to clarity a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I find missing in a lot of queries that need work is clarity. Right. It's true. I mean, it, it, it seems like such a small thing, but it's really a big thing, right? It, it's also the thing that will ideally keep your character really active as opposed to passive because there's some really good manuscripts that have come my way. And I'm like, man, this character is so passive. Things are happening. But if the character is not super driven for a particular goal, then it's kind of hard to have that form of momentum because ideally they're pursuing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A character who wants something but doesn't do anything about it isn't really a plot line. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, it, it's the annoying friend who calls you every week like, oh, nothing's happening. What are you doing about it? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So Linda, tell us about an aha moment that everything came together. Hmm. Where everything came together. I would say there was a manuscript that came into me and I loved it. But at the same time, I knew that it was going to need kind of a full deconstruction. (laughs) It was one of those manuscripts where I really loved the premise I love the voice, but it really had to be torn apart. <laughs> and I told this to the to the client and she was game. You know, she was completely game. And we discussed, you know, the potential vision of it. And it was great. And it took a while. It really did take a while. And we went out on a round of submissions. And even by that time, I think after a point when you're looking at a manuscript so much, even you, you know, you're an insider after a point and you just think, okay, I don't know what else I can do with this. I think it's really strong, but let's take it out. So I think there was some slight fatigue there because we were working over a year on this manuscript, but we went out with it. It got turned down left and right. But that break incidentally was something that I think we both needed because when she turned back for another revision, bless her, (laughs) she was able to go back and revise it. And when I saw that next revision, it just clicked. I was like, yes. Like I... I don't think I, this we would have gotten here earlier, but it's working. And then when we send it for the second round, it was snatched up. And again, even when I was telling my client about the revisions, you, you can't guarantee a sale. So she fully knew that 
you're working really hard on something that might not work, but she loved the story enough and, and, and I did as well. And again, this doesn't always happen because there are plenty of stories that I've put my heart and soul into as well as, as my client, but it doesn't work out. But this time it, it really did. So mm. I, I felt really good about it. And we were just happy when we got that offer to, to celebrate it. And it's something mm. small, but it was something that it just felt like you were in it together. And it makes it extra gratifying when you know how hard they've worked and how much they care and how much has gone into it. And mm-hmm. there are many times that I wish our industry rewarded effort more than anything else, because I see people working so hard and it doesn't work out for them. And not that anyone's just not working hard at all and it works out, you know, it's, it's right. not like that either. But I often wish that I could guarantee that everyone who works super hard and cares a lot would get what they want. And I can't, but it also makes it extra special when they do have that happy ending. So that's always mm-hmm. nice to see. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's really special. And yeah, I, again, I, I have some clients that I'm still trying so hard to sell their work and we keep hoping and fingers crossed it's going to happen, but yeah, it doesn't always work out. So it, it can get demoralizing. And what I find in that regard is sometimes they start apologizing and I say, don't apologize. This is, there's only so much you can control, right? I'm always surprised even half the time when I get an offer <laughs> just because yes, I love this project, but you have to catch the right person on the right mood on the right day. And the stars align sometimes and you just want to replicate that every time and and you hope that you can but it's really up to the stars half the time I feel so there are probably some writers hearing you say right person right mood right day who are a little bit um nervous (laughs) now sorry sorry. why don't you tell us something that isn't nearly as scary or hopeless as writers fear it is I will say that yes it is a very hard industry and I only say this to people not to get them to quit, but more to prepare them, right? Because honestly, from what I've seen, more often than not, the people who do succeed and success is defined in so many ways, right? If you get published, if you're a bestseller, all of these things, but if you're at least sticking and hanging in there, most times you will at least get published, right? If you're in there hanging in there and you're also learning and improving, it's usually last person standing because it's just so hard. So many people give up and even people who sell a first novel and even people who are bestsellers, it's not certain things. Yes. Get easier, but it's never easy, right? There's never a point when you sit back and go, okay, I've, I've done what I, I, I'm a bestseller. I've done it. Or, Oh, I've signed with an agent. I'm good. Or I have my first deal. It kind of never ends, but I think persistence is going to be, the main driver. Persistence and passion, right? Because if you're only doing it, oh, you know, I want to make a few dollars. There's so many easier ways to make those few dollars and you'd probably make way more doing just about anything else. But yeah, if you stick it out and you learn and you grow, something good has to happen. I've seen that over the years. It's just inevitable. It's almost like you're wearing people down in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also it's so Um, special when that happens because everyone is here because they love it, right? mm -hmm. And so, so many people are trying so hard for something they really care about. And I think that's valuable in a way that all of those get rich quick schemes never really could be, you know, because what do you want on your tombstone? Like had a multi-level marketing scheme or wrote a book. (laughs) So, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can empathize. I mean, People don't talk about it a lot, but agents in particular, editors too, but agents really have to fight hard to 
to get into the industry for the most part <laughs> and to make a living at it, especially with agenting, the, the way our payments are, are kind of structured if you're on commission or and all of that sort of thing. So there is an empathy there because we have to be as stubborn about it as well for us to keep going. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely understand why if you're stubborn about it and you don't want to give up, uh, we're there with you. I think it's like, I have this theory <laughs> that writers are kind of like gamblers, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, you know, like you're putting it out there and you're playing the game and you get a hit and it's like, yeah, you know, like the slots and, and, and the process starts back over again. You know, it's, it's such an interesting thing. And I think putting on live conferences, I saw you would like feel when people left like a room where everyone critiques in the same room and you would feel like the energy high and raised and, and it's such a game sometimes in those situations of like winners and losers. And I've certainly had great critiques and went out and been like, Oh, I'm amazing. Well, I'm so amazing today. Another day I'm just like, Ooh. <laughs> and it's, it's like, I think there is a certain type of person that goes for that. And I think there is a certain type of person that just enjoys just the, the pro- I mean, I don't say, I don't say enjoy the process, but enjoy just the world. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it is, yeah. it's a really cool world full of, of real feeling. Right. Like it really is. It, it's one of those things where, yeah, it, you're saying it really well. It's, you have to love the process, right? It's the whole journey versus the destination. If you're only looking ahead and skipping all the rest of it, you're just kind of going to make yourself uh, miserable because it is not an easy process. So you kind of have to celebrate every goalpost that you hit, whether it's you finishing your first novel, or even if you've never done a novel, can you finish a short story? In my MFA program, I had never, when I had gone in, I'd never finished a full novel. So they said, okay, well then write a short story. That way you feel like you've accomplished something. And then you keep leveling up and then it just all of a sudden, hopefully you get to wherever you want to get to. But even those goalposts, they continue to move, right? So if your end game is getting published, you're still growing and evolving. What's the next step? And I'm hoping that even while there's a lot of hard stuff there, you do start out with the love of this, right? Why are you doing this? Because you love reading, you love words, you love stories. And if you at least have that base, then you're going to be okay. Mm. I think it's interesting how writers say they can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. We write because we can't help ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's right. it's a tough road, but it's really something that, yeah, not just anybody can do. And not any, I mean, yes, if someone really wanted to just publish a book, I guess they could do it. But someone who wants to do it long-term for their career, that's a whole other kind of person. And I know so many of those people that they can't skip a day without writing or they can't they just, they have to, they just have no choice. And, and that's a unique quality. Do you think we agent? Cause we can't help it. <laughs> I, feel, I almost feel like that too, honestly, because most times, especially in the beginning where I found it really, and again, it is a roller coaster of a job <laughs> where I go, maybe I should be in banking or some, <laughs> some random thing. But I was going, man, like literally every other job for me, it just, I don't think at this point I'd be good for anything. And frankly, nothing appeals to me. Like this is the only thing I want to be doing. So yeah, it's almost like we're stuck (laughs) in a Um, good way, but. 
So one thing I think is interesting is that writers probably hear this at least more now, that things are hard on our side of the desk. What can they do with that information that can help everyone be better? I think it's just, it helps in the sense of, it allows them to forgive themselves and to forgive other people in a sense. It it won't let you be as hard on people, right? But especially yourself, because again, you can send it out to the quote unquote right people, right? If I have a submission, And then I could get an offer, but what's the right offer, right? Or who's the right person? Or if you publish it well, are you getting the same attention as somebody else? Like none of this you can really control. I mean, you can control to a particular extent, right? Obviously the agent is guiding as much as possible. But even when I talk to people, I can never, even when I'm taking on a client, I never make promises because it's like an attorney, right? They can't predict how a thing's going to come out. They have a strong feeling. They have experience and I can go, I strongly feel X, Y, Z, but can I guarantee to you on the phone that you're going to be number one New York Times bestseller? No, I would love that, of course. But I think in the sense where you realize you can't control things, it's kind of a relief because you kind of, it's like a test. I always tell my clients, okay, you took the test. It's out of your hands. You're done. The only thing that you honestly really can control is craft. So as long as you're evolving in that way and you do your best, try to not be so hard on yourself. And I think it just goes all around. Like you see yourself as good as you are and try not to compare yourself. I think that is really key because it's easy to go, oh, this person got that deal or this person got that deal announcement. Why didn't I get that? But if you just keep your eyes on your own paper and also be as forgiving as possible to yourself, I think it'll really truly preserve your mental health. I think it's also interesting to look at the converse though. You know, we had Alyssa Jeanette on and she told a story of how an author literally got her name wrong (laughs) (laughs) and she still offered on the book. So I think it's also a matter of, um, it doesn't have to be perfect to work out. There's a lot that's out of our control too. And so obviously you want to do everything right if you can, but making a mistake doesn't mean it's the end. It can often just mean that that things will work out anyway because they were going to. It's mysterious to us too, guys. I'm sure you thought it was a perfect <laughs> formula, like plug in this number over here and this number over here. And then it like steams a little bit, like we're mad scientists. And then, you know, <laughs> out pops a published book on a conveyor belt a little bit later. <laughs> and that sure would be interesting um, from a viewing standpoint, but no, it's not quite like that. But I think, I think there's hope in the unpredictability too. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And amazing things happen. Like you just, there's some things like my client got some great news the other day. And it's something that we even wouldn't have known to shoot for because some things come out of the ether and they're wonderful things. And Mm -hmm. it's for a client, you know, who's been working her butt off for many, many years. And again, is that a guarantee of anything? No. But when it comes out like that, you just can't help but be hopeful. And hence the roller coaster, right? Sometimes it's amazing. And then sometimes it's terrible, but there's kind of a beauty to the whole process. Can you tell us a happy story? A happy story. I don't like to really publicize this because this is like not a thing that, (laughs) this is not to tell you to break all the rules, but sometimes breaking the rules is okay. But in that, please follow the rules. Okay. So in this one, for my client, Shamile Syed Mendez, (laughs) So I had gone to this program, this MFA program, and then I graduated and then she entered the program the semester after I left. And then I started noticing, I think I was noticing posts of hers on Twitter 
I was like, oh, who is this person? Uh, just because I like to keep in touch with people in the program. And then she was nominated for an award at two books. And then I started to notice her and I was like, kind of internet stalking her, but <laughs> I didn't want to be weird about it. I was just like, okay. I said, well, she's probably already represented because it was literally my first month of agenting. And this, so this was 2015. But at the same time, I didn't realize that she was kind of internet stalking me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had, I was trying to get my name out there and I did this interview for Cynthia Lydic Smith on her blog. And I reached, I'm like, Hey, Sin, cause she's a part of the community. So she was lovely and she did it. And then that's when Shamila noticed me. And so Shamila had um, started the querying process and was getting a couple, she had gotten a couple of offers, but then she was like, okay, I don't do this, but she reached out to me on Facebook. <laughs> so again, guys don't do this, but it worked out in this case. So, because I happened to be stalking her. So she was like, hi, you know, like uh, you're Latinx and I, I love all the things you're doing. And I have this Latinx story. And it was this really cool story. It was actually about um, a Latinx girl who was doing Irish dancing. And I just, I was like, yeah, let me read it right away. And we connected in such an amazing way. And so that worked out. That was like a happy story. And then actually that book never sold. <laughs> I still love that story very much. And hopefully one day something will happen of it. And it actually took a while to sell her projects. So interestingly, like, I think it took, let me see, maybe two, two or three years. We were like pushing out her work. She had amazing stuff, but it, you know, it just wasn't hitting. It just wasn't the right moment, the right time. But then she sold one thing and we were super excited. And then she sold another and another. And now I cannot keep up with this woman. And I think right now she's on her like eighth or ninth deal in wow. like two like two years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so she's keeping me busy. But again, like you, the stars kind of aligned in that case. So yeah, don't use Facebook guys, but this, it, it did work <laughs> in this case. And for someone who we've been working for so long, for a couple of years, from nothing to like, it's like from zero to 60, it's like, boom, straight ahead. So mm. I actually have to slow her down sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, but yeah, I feel like that was a happy story. And like, it was almost like this connection was met. So if you were to chat with a writer starting from scratch, what would you tell them? So I would say, if you're not already reading as much as possible, because I know someone actually did reach out to me and they wrote a picture book. So the first thing I said was read, read, read. <laughs> and he's already started doing that. He's doing so much homework. I gave him 500. I, I told him he had to read at least 500. <laughs> and it's true because, you know, people think picture books are easy. So he read his eyes off. He's still reading. And so now the next step, if you've already done that, find your community. I think that's going to be a really key thing because, so I told him, for example, since he's not super connected to other writers, just to start with SCBWY at the very least, because, you know, you can have people who are there to encourage you, people that you're growing with, and also you can attend sessions on craft. And it doesn't have to be SCBWY, but you need some sort of connection with other fellow creatives because they're really going to get you through a lot of it. You're going to grow together. You're going to suffer together, but in the end you're going to make each other better. So at the very least, please, please, please find your community, keep them close, and you will not regret it. Thank you so much, Linda. This has been amazing. Where do we find you online? I am on Twitter at Linda Random. Because <laughs> <laughs> I used to work at Random House and I had that and I was too lazy to change it. And so I just left it. So <laughs> Linda Random. Yeah. Aww. 
Well, I hope people specifically versus randomly go find you. (laughs) I know anyone who works with you would be very lucky. So yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.